Welcome aboard. It's official Riding the Bus, the official podcast of the Iowa Wild, has been blessed on all the platforms we want it to be blessed on. We're on YouTube, we're on Spotify, we're on iTunes, Google Play. As we were told by Jeremy Core, anywhere you can find a podcast, you can find Riding the Bus. Yes. Which is great to be said. We had the intro episode. This is the first real episode, if you want to call it that, with a guest, longer form. I'm Ben Gistlison, voice of the Iowa Wild. We have Mitch Courtney with me to my left, if you're with us on YouTube, our uh, head of PR uh, media here with the Wild, and then we've also got Joey Goldstein, the head of marketing. Uh, if you listen to the intro episode, great. We're happy you did. If you didn't, you're not missing anything. Uh, we're really going to jump right into this here for our, our first true episode with uh, our first guest, Dakota Mermis, who I think was an excellent way to start out uh, our first big episode. But before we get there... Here we are, guys. Uh, music, uh, honking noises from a bus. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> you know, working on you know partnerships uh, with some local companies here in Des Moines. We, we do have uh, Executive Podcast Solutions with Jeremy Corr as a sponsor. So here we are. That's yeah, been great. I actually I saw the logo. Our graphic designer Travis Green, who's great, oh. designed this logo. I think. We should have thought it through. We probably should have signed NIL deals to get our likenesses put on that logo. Mm. But I, I would say they're pretty spot Dang on. Dang it. You're yeah. right. It was pretty good. I, I mean, it's for for how, I, I guess, maybe not how quickly things came together. Because I mean, we've been talking about it for, I mean, pretty much since the season ended. Maybe even, you know, put the egg out there during the season. But it did kind of all come together relatively quickly. And I think what we've got is awesome, and I'm excited to share it with people and people to listen or watch, whatever it may be. Uh, I think people are going to enjoy what we're, what we're putting together here. Really enjoyed Dakota Mermis, too. Uh, and for anybody that watched Wild Hockey or was around Wild Hockey this season, I'm sure they saw Mermis's name and were excited about it because they see the player he is. They know how integral into the community he is, obviously, as the reigning AHL Man of the Year and as someone who has been nominated elsewhere, though, too, for this award, but has never won it for the league, has been his his team nomination, whether it was down in Tucson or elsewhere. But for those who, who aren't Iowa Wild fans that might be tuning into this podcast, in which case I would say welcome, and thanks for clicking randomly on the Iowa Wild mm -hmm. podcast. But what would you say about this interview that is a reason for somebody to stay on if they're wondering who Dakota Mermis is? I think if you're looking for people in the industry – who are more than just athletes. Dakota Mermis personifies that to a T. He's a guy who, both in the locker room and outside of it, is so consistent in who he is and is so upfront and transparent with everybody about that. And he's so charitable, and he, he likes to be around the guys, but he's a great family man as well. And it's amazing that you can, and you talk about this a lot with Dakota, but he can be such a force on the ice, and then you you have a full 180 when he steps off the ice and he's got a newborn son at home and his wife and his two dogs. It's it's really cool to see that dynamic. Yeah, he throws a great right hook, that guy. Yeah, that's one of your favorite things to talk about. With, se with Dakota. Second episode in a row now you've talked about how much I talk about Dakota's <laughs> fire. Yeah. And so in, somehow in the third episode we're going to have to work it in, even yes. though he won't be a part of the yeah. third episode. Well, you know, you've got – you, you you got digs at me for the oh, first episode, so hey, you're bringing this up, not us. I no, wasn't no. going to bring up the San Jose Barracuda on this episode. <laughs> I wasn't going to do it. <laughs> for those of you who are wondering what are we talking about, just go listen to like the opening ten minutes of the intro episode, and you'll figure it out, and then you'll get the inside joke. 
All right. Why well, are you excited for Dakota Mermis? Uh, he's an awesome storyteller. I think that's one of the, the biggest things. You're, you're going to learn that real quick. Listen, I mean, he starts right off the top with stories. And, and we did our, our digging. We've got our sources. So we got lots of people who have, you know, played with Dakota, been familiar with Dakota, are married to Dakota. You know, so <laughs> lots of – Don't reveal of, your source. No, he, he revealed the source. We, we got to it. We, he figured it out at one point. But uh, it's – we got a lot of good stories. There's one, you know, in particular, we were talking about it before. It's It really, you know, exemplifies what life in the minors is all about. Uh, it's when he was playing uh, when he was with the Coyotes organization and he was uh, basically sent down to Rapid City. So, like, if there's a, a story you want to listen out for, um, that's a great one. Um, it's just uh, – realizing that it's not all rainbows and butterflies all the time playing in pro hockey. I think some, sometimes it's a, it's a bit of a wake-up call, uh, but that's a good one to listen to. I mean, you've seen probably at this point, you've seen some of the teasers that have gone out. Um, so there's, I mean, there's no sh- shortage, and I'm sure at some point we're going to bring him on again to talk about more stories that we couldn't even get into. Uh, he's an easy one, and he is easy because of his storytelling ability. Uh, and, and just you can tell when you do these, there are there are people that, buy in 100% to being on a podcast. And there are guests that don't, and it partially is just different personal preference. He is very much on the Mount Rushmore of buying in, I mm-hmm. would say, for a, a podcast guest. Because you, right from the get-go, he was invested, he was engaged, and he gave us a ton of time. Um, so I, I, I think I can't say anything more than you guys said with, without any further ado. Uh, let's flip the page. Let's head on to period two, and let's talk to Iowa Wild defenseman and reigning AHL man of the year, Dakota Mervis. Moving on to the second period of our episode here on Riding the Bus, the official podcast of the Iowa Wild. Today, we're riding the bus with Alternate captain of the Iowa Wild defenseman and reigning AHL man of the year, Dakota Mermis. Dakota, thanks so much for doing this, and thanks for being our guinea pig. Guest number one, how's it feel? Hey, it's nice. I uh, didn't know what to expect here, so but you guys always put up a good product, so we'll try to have some fun with this. He's already feeding us BS. Yeah, he's gassing us. We'll take it. We'll take it. We'll take it. Merms, we we wanted to start with how we're going to start with every one of our, our guests. And this is the Ride in the Bus podcast. The whole goal is to, to help our fans get to know you as a player better and get to know our guests as people better. And so the whole thought is, can we put our fans next to Dakota Mermis on the bus riding to Rockford or Grand Rapids or you name it? And so we're curious, etiquette on the bus, rules on the bus, things that a fan or someone who hasn't had the privilege of being on the team bus wouldn't know what stands out to you as maybe some of the more bizarre rules that you know, but maybe 99% of the rest of the world doesn't. Well, I guess I'll start by saying that uh, just personal etiquette being next to me on the bus is that uh, don't be next to me on the bus. Um, I'll be in my bunk sleeping, so you're not going to get much out of me. That's where I uh, tend to get in my, my cave, as I call it, get down on the bottom of the bunk and uh, just kind of close off for a little while, maybe catch up on some sleep when, uh, you know, when I'm on the road since Brooks uh, occasionally steals some of my sleep when I'm at home. So, um, yeah, and then as far as etiquette, I mean, it's pretty loose. Uh, you know, it's, it's a time for the guys to all be together, have some fun, uh, you know, hopefully celebrate some wins on the ride home. Um, you know, I mean, there's the, the general ones that, you know, most people would probably assume or, you know, you're limiting the, uh, the restroom use and 
course, try not to have uh, any big jobs on there. That's definitely one <laughs> of because uh, that might sit with you until you return home. So, um, yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's it's pretty relaxed. Uh, you know, usually the, you know, on a standard coach bus, if you're traveling in that, you know, it's it's a lot of the veterans and older guys towards the back, um, you know, with rookies up at the front. Um, and, you know, they certainly have to, you know, are in charge of, you know, getting the trash off the bus and, and making sure that the, the bus is clean when we're all set. But, you know, we travel great in Iowa. We have the sleeper buses and, um, I'm not a big card player, so there's obviously there's two big card tables in the back where uh, you know there's a big always big card games going on. But for me, I get in my bunk and uh, maybe throw some Netflix on and close the eyes for a bit. I was gonna say I was thinking about trying to find a way to get you a sign for your bunk and maybe some curtains. I think we talked about that maybe on the bus one time. If we can get just you specifically on the bunk, your bunk, we get some curtains to close you off. You'd be riding in style. Oh, it'd be golden. Yeah, I mean it'd be pitch black under there. Um, you know, there's no windows down on my bottom one where I like to go and. Yeah, we we get a curtain over there. That'd be fantastic. I think you should uh, definitely pursue that for me. I've just made more work for myself. Well, there we Someone's go. Gonna do it. Yeah, we're on the bus now. I, I feel like we are on the bus. Where are we going from here? I'm going to give you the steering wheel. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the first things to to really talk about is looking back on the season. You know, winning AHL Man of the Year. It's it's a huge honor every year. Teams nominate. What it's been in the past has been one player from each team, but they've kind of opened it up given the pandemic, and they're opening up to more people within the organization. But to win that award, not just for be our team representative, but to win that award for the entire league, like what does that mean to you from you know just a human perspective? Yeah, you know what, that's uh, that's an award that's you know obviously unique in that it's not hockey stat based. Um, you know, there's no stats behind it. Your performance on the ice has nothing to do with it. Um, it's truly kind of you know representative of how you interact with people um animals you know depending on what you're doing kids you know just everyone uh you know the environment around you um and so that was yeah i mean that was really really cool i had you know been nominated a couple times and i had played in tucson and um you know was certainly shocked when you know i found out that the league had chosen me to to be the league winner of that award and um yeah like i said i mean it's a huge honor it's something that you know, you can be proud of not only that you had like a good season on the ice, but I mean, that's something that you carry with you, you know, for life forever and you can contribute and build off those things even when you're done playing. So um, definitely, you know, like I said, it's like, while my name's on it, it was, it was a group effort, you know, between my wife and of course you guys and the, the Iowa staff, like having those kind of, um, you know, connections and resources to really make things grow and, uh, make things big um, and also still, you know, allowing to be able to focus on hockey at the same time. And obviously your job is, is pretty special and pretty cool. So it's definitely a, uh, a group award that certainly I get highlighted in. When, like, when did it start for you? Like when did giving back to the community, how did that become like, you know, a piece of your identity where, you know, I'm going to be a professional hockey player, but I also want to make sure I'm supporting those who support me. Like how did that become such a big part of your identity? Yeah, well, obviously, I mean, like growing up, I think, you know, my parents, obviously, that's something that when we were growing up, that was always instilled in us is that, you know, being a good person, uh, being respectful, you know, all the things early on that, you know, as you get older, turn into being able to help more and lend a hand and, um, you know, really just like a, you know, it's a term I use a lot, but like showing interest in other people's lives and, um, you know, people that are like you and people that are, are not like you at all. Like, it's it's really cool because, 
as you get to do that, you know, you just learn so much about yourself, about other people, um, how to be a better person, how not to be a worse person. Um, like, I mean, you just learn so much throughout it. And that's, uh, you know, definitely a part of the growing process, but it's always been instilled in me. My family is very charitable, um, you know, aunts, uncles, everyone. Um, and of course my wife as well as has always grown up that way as well. And her family's the same way. So, um, for us as a team too, it's, uh, it just makes it easy because it's so much fun and, and we just enjoy it so much. What's the most rewarding part for you about giving back? I think just the reaction that you, you know, you get from people that you're helping or even within organizations that maybe you're not helping directly, but they're, you know, also trying to help a group of people or, you know, like I said, animals and which is important to us. And just the reaction you get from these people and just how grateful they are. It just is such a, uh, a humbling experience in that, you know, you really get to look at, you know, yourself as well and realize how fortunate, you know, you are certainly how hard you've worked to be that way. But um, there's so many people that work just as hard and then the bounces haven't gone their way and they just keep plugging and plugging. So the most rewarding part is just seeing the gratitude, um, you know, seeing how much little, the tiniest things that really mean, you know, that aren't a big deal to us make such a big deal for someone else is um, the most rewarding thing. And Merms, you, you mentioned Sarah, your wife, and what she's meant to your process throughout the season. It was a great year for you on and off of the ice. What does her support mean to you, and how has that helped you in a hectic year where you welcomed your first child into this world? Yeah, I mean, she, uh, she means the world to me. She certainly has been, you know, with me on this journey, you know, long before I was a professional and, um, you know, through a lot of trying times when you don't know whether it's going to end up this way or not. And, um, you know, just what that future looks like. She's been, been there to kind of, you know, tie up a lot of loose ends that, you know, make it a lot easier for me. Certainly I'm not the best calendar keeper. So, um, you know, in this crazy lifestyle, having her to, you know, keep us straight on that sense too, I'm like, is, uh, tell you what, that's a big help. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's, we love the family we have. We love the family we've grown now with Brooks and our two dogs and then what it, you know, maybe in the future. And, um, it's fun to have, the whole family, the whole crew uh, on the ride with you. So I'm coming into this, I, I wanted to talk about you and Sarah's relationship because in hockey, you do get to meet some really cool stories. Yours is, is a great one for a lot of reasons. One, because Sarah is obviously the, the much stronger element of your relationship for sure. It's very obvious when you talk to you two in person, uh, who wears the pants in this relationship, it's Sarah. But yeah. B, I was – I was racking my brain going, okay, because I know she was, like you said, a part of the beginning of this whole journey, which for you, th there was a lot of stops on the way to getting to where you are now. You got Green Bay in there. You've got the University of Denver. You've got London, Ontario, Oshawa. You got Springfield, Massachusetts. You got Tucson, Arizona. You got Bingo in there for a little bit in Binghamton, which is Binghamton. Is that New York? Am I yeah. right on that? Yeah. And yeah. then you've got St. Paul. Uh, two years ago for the taxi squad year. And then of course, Des Moines, Iowa. So that is just uh, packed into a lot. And that happened sometimes for a few years. It's a long journey for her to be a part of. What did you learn about yourself maybe? And what did you think she learned about staying together as a cohesive unit through all of that? Cause that is just a, a ton of travel for a couple to have gone through at a young age, mind you as well. Yeah. You know what? Like it was something that I guess when we started dating, um, you're like, we'll see where this goes. And she'll admit to you, she was, you know, very much a homebody. Um, you know, she'd spent a lot of time in her hometown and, you know, traveled on vacations and stuff, but was very much a homebody. So, um, 
you know, certainly how it's ended up is, you know, obviously she's had to break down those walls, which she loves. She loves to explore now and all that. But yeah, definitely challenging. And it was also cool. And I'm extremely proud of, you know, her in the same sense that she continued to follow her passion as well. And um, she, you know, graduated with her doctorate degree in physical therapy and continued to make that, uh, you know, long commitment to school and finishing her degree. And um, certainly is amazing for our family and will be for many years uh, post hockey. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was challenging, but I think there was always just a, a level of understanding that while we were doing our thing, we could certainly still, you know, enjoy each other's company and traveling and, you know, certainly making a lot of different crazy trips, uh, mostly her to see me, um, you know, she had more, more breaks than I did, but um, yeah, I mean, it was always, um, you know, it just kind of worked. Like, you know, everyone asks, like, how did you make it work? It was like, I don't know. It just kind of did. Like, we didn't force it. It just kind of, it just worked. And um, I'm sure glass, it's, like I said, it's extremely fun and, and grounding to share uh, all the different experiences with, uh, with our family. Blues fan growing up outside of St. Louis. And was she a blues fan? Did she like hockey? Did she just stumble into hockey? What was that like growing up yeah, just outside of St. Louis? Alton, right, Illinois? Yeah, Alton, Illinois, which is just about 40 minutes uh, northeast of the city, um, across the river, uh, north up right on the Mississippi River. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's where we grew up. That's where she grew up. We went to different high schools. I went to the public high school and she had gone to the Catholic school in the area here. Um, and yeah, I mean, I was, yeah, certainly grew up a blues fan. I mean, everything was, was blues fan, uh, you know, blues games. And as long as I knew or anything of the NHL, it was, you know, going to what at the time was Savage Center, turning into Scott Trade Center, Enterprise Center now, uh, was that arena. As far as I knew, the NHL was a blues game and all their, you know, media and everything they do in, in that arena. So um, Sarah, Sarah was, uh, I mean, of course she knew of hockey, but um, I wouldn't say she was a hockey fan and she certainly didn't know anything about hockey. Um, she's got a lot better understanding of, of hockey in the game now uh, with as many games as she's seen and I've dragged her to, but um, yeah, so we, we grew up and she, you know, jumped right in and obviously started learning about it. And, um, you know, it was about as close to an expert as uh, a wife can be now. You're talking more about family life. I mean, you guys welcome a baby boy into your, into your lives. What has, you know, now that you've got, you know, the seasons kind of passed or into the off season here, what, what's parenthood been like? What's that been like for you? It's great. Um, I mean, it's definitely easier than it was the first two months when, uh, you know, when they're extremely newborns, um, you know, he's sleeping in his own, his own room now in the crib and, um, you know, does really well sleeping through the majority of the night. So it just, I tell you what, it just keeps getting more fun and more fun, you know, like the early on, like it's a lot of work, you know, they're not super interactive, but like, you're like, Holy cow, like it's great. when I mean, you're just, you know, on so much adrenaline, um, and then, you know, you get a couple, two, three months in and, you know, the first time you, you know, you're like, he smiles at you. I mean, it just melts and you're just like, Holy cow, like this is just incredible. So every one of those like milestones where like, you know, he's grabbing things where he's smiling, he's like talking, not of anything, just, you know, mumbling, but it's, um, it's, it's crazy cool to, uh, you know, to just see all the growth and, and now to be home too, to, you know, see all the excitement within our family too, and how many cars and, uh, you know, grandparents we have stopping by all the time to, uh, to see Brooks. How have the uh, how have the dogs handled having somebody else coming to the mix and taking uh, all that attention that they used to get? Yeah, you know what? They've actually been great from the second we uh, we brought them home. So we have a five year old border collie Kaiser and a three year old border collie Charlie, and they have totally different uh, personalities. 
Kaiser is very much, I mean, he's got a strong drive, wants to play fetch and, you know, play ball and Frisbee just all the time. Uh, Charlie likes to do that too, but he's much more of a, you know, a lover too. Um, and so they, it was funny seeing them both interact right away. Like Kaiser kind of kept his distance for a while. Didn't, didn't bother him, but he just, you know, kept his distance. Um, and Charlie just wanted to be right next to him all the time from day one. Um, and now you see as, as he's growing, you know, like we put Brooks down on his play mat. Um, he's about to turn six months old now. And Kaiser's just like, I mean, he'll bring the ball over and just lay it, uh, you know, lay it right next to Brooks, just hoping that, you know, praying that today's the day where he, you know, picks up that ball and throws it. Um, and unfortunately it hasn't happened yet. Brooks will grab it, but he hasn't figured out the launch side of it yet. And, uh, but like I said, once, once that happens, I think Kaiser and Brooks will, uh, will be pretty good pals. Merms, is it the dogs that want him to pick up the ball and throw it? Or is it you deep down? <laughs> uh, a little bit of both. I mean, certainly it'd be nice to have an extra set of arms, uh, throwing this thing. Um, but no, I mean, admittedly, I, I absolutely love, I definitely created the, uh, I don't want to say monster, but the, uh, the fetch machine that Kaiser is today, because that's always, I mean, from the time I was little, I've always loved playing with the dogs that we had growing up and, um, you know, the Frisbee side of it and just everything of uh, the dogs. I, I absolutely love it. So I, I don't mind uh, throwing the ball. We did it's kind of funny. We, so we, I'm sure you've seen those like automatic ball throwers, mm. you know, that where the dogs can drop them in and they'll mm-hmm. just launch it. So we had gotten him one of those um, probably a few years ago and Kaiser figured it out right away. And he, so he just plays the thing with this thing for hours. And uh, eventually kept going and the motor wore out. So we're like, okay, so we call the company and, you know, they're like, uh, you know, we'll, we'll send you a replacement. So they sent us a replacement. Two months later, motor's out again. So like, okay, we call them. They're like, okay, we'll give you half off of a new one. So like, all right, fine. So we'll get a new one. This was probably last summer. We get the third one and boom, Kaiser burns the motor out on another one. So we call it like, hey, like, we, we can't keep doing this. Like Kaiser beat the machine. Like he, he won. <laughs> And so, uh, so we had that for a little while, but that's obviously, uh, he's beat a few of those. So now it's back to just full-time arm throwing. Make sure you get nice and loose. Sore uh, rotator yeah, cuffs, sore arms. It's going to be tough. Merms, I was sitting thinking before we were going to know we were going to do this today, and I was regaling two trips this year that, as the team services director, had – a different asterisk next to it because there was a potential future father that was going to be needing to come to whether it was Vegas or Chicago. Can you remind a remind me? Cause I don't even remember the, the, the full details of, of both of those weekends, but I, I'd love our fans to know about that because I do think it's an interesting look at for most people that are having their first child or any child, you're going to do whatever it takes to get there, but it may not need to be as complicated as what it would have been potentially on two different weekends for you. What do you remember from those two weekends where we were all thinking Sarah's close, you needed to play, but you also, we knew for damn sure that there was one place you were going to be when that time happened. It was when Brooks was on his way. So what can you remember from those two weekends? Because I was just chuckling about it, thinking about how strange of a scenario it was essentially having we were all waiting on pins and needles and we knew that there was an emergency plan that if needed to be, we were going to pull you off the ice to put you on a plane as soon as we possibly could. Yeah. And, and even going even further than that. So when, before those two trips, um, we, you know, I had, it was when Sarah was about 38 weeks pregnant. So the due date is at 40 weeks. So a couple of weeks before Brooks due date, um, about two and a half weeks before that I tested positive for COVID. And so leading up to that, we were like, you know, of course, anytime after 38 weeks, you know, you're like, he could come any day, 
you know, he could, you know, Sarah could go into labor and it was, it was, that was the most, you know, the hectic part of it because that was still at the time of the 10 day quarantines. And while I didn't have any symptoms, really the only reason I had tested was because of our, uh, you know, regular testing with the league. And so it was a really strange, uh, it was for the first time in the pregnancy where, you know, towards the latter part of that pregnancy where we're like, okay, you need to not have this baby. And Sarah didn't want to go to the hospital alone, you know, because I wouldn't have been able to go and join her to the hospital. So we were just had this, you know, super stressful. We were trying to figure out every way to get multiple negative tests um, and, you know, just try to get through it either by getting, you know, the two negative tests or get through the 10 days. Um, and fortunately, this was, you know, like I say, Sarah was ready to, you know, to have this baby and she was super uncomfortable. So she, again, kind of sucked it up and, um, you know, was just praying and doing everything not to have the baby. Um, and then we got through those 10 days. Uh, fortunately, Brooks ended up coming a week late, uh, which I added to these two weekends of, um, you know, craziness within the season. But yeah, that was, that was the first part of the, the hecticness of not being able to join Sarah at the hospital if she would have gone into labor then. Um, so then I get cleared and it's my first weekend back and yeah, we were in uh, Vegas. So I think it was, we played a Friday, Saturday. So it was leave Thursday afternoon and we'd come back uh, Sunday morning. And so at this point, you know, she's probably 39, 39 and a half weeks pregnant. So really close, probably within a week of her due date. Um, and so obviously talking to Tim and, um, you know, he's like, look, you know, do whatever you need to do. Obviously this is one of our further trips. So, you know, it's not as simple as jumping on a flight from Chicago um, you know, as you know, you were looking at all the different options to try to make sure that at any given sick, you know, second, we were covered to, to get over to the airport and hop on a plane. Um, and so it was every, you know, every, of course you're talking, I'm talking to Sarah the whole time, calling, texting, saying, Hey, has anything changed? Are you feeling any different? Um, and she was, she was still good. Um, and so even after there was a late flight after the game Saturday that I could have caught at like, I don't know, 10 10 o'clock or maybe it's a little early back to his uh, earlier game. But um, so right after the game, rushed to my phone. Hey, how's everything going? Anything new? She's like, no, I'm like, all right, we're flying out in the morning. Um, so it seemed like that's all right. Or should I try to get on this flight? She's like, I think I'm good, but you know, who knows? So, so we, you know, gambled a bit knowing that it was going to be an early flight and, and made it back just fine. Um, and then actually, I think it might've, I guess maybe it was later. It was that week, maybe like a Wednesday we were supposed to play in Chicago um, and this would be like, you know, right at around Brooks due date. Um, and so again, like just talking to Tim, he's like, well, I mean, stay back if you want the team left, you know, the night before. So I ended up staying back. And then the next day, um, you know, there was nothing overnight and it really had started to show signs that he might show up overnight. So we're half expecting all night that we might be going to the hospital. Um, and then, uh, you know, early in the morning there's nothing. And so we're talking like, okay, well, they're playing in Chicago. There's a direct flight that would get me, get me to the game. You know, I'd land at like four 30 and it's right next to the airport. So I can get to the rink by five and play at seven. Um, you know, so I'm asking Sarah, cause we didn't want to keep, you know, like pushing off, like, you know, like, Oh, I shouldn't travel here. I shouldn't travel there. And all of a sudden you missed five games and, and he hadn't been born. So it was a really a balancing act of trying to, you know, trying to figure that out. But anyways, yeah. So for that game, we, uh, you know, obviously hopped on the flight and flew right in on game day, uh, played the game, and then we turned right around on the on the bus and came home. So I was gone uh, maybe ten hours. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a long long exit that I was away, and uh, and Brooks didn't you know didn't come yet. So we were just back to back to figuring that out. But it was yeah those 
those weekends were, were hectic. I'm lucky that we didn't ever have to, to pull the trigger on jumping off the ice and getting on a flight. Uh, it ended up working out. Well, and to go along with that, in these both of these weekends, I was sitting trying to think, what am I going to do? Because I was the point of contact. If Sarah texts me and says, we need to get Dakota home, and we're in the middle of the game, and I'm just going to walk, leap, you know, you're just going to hear the headset slam on the table, and I'm going to walk down and, like, what, flag Tim down? Like, hey, hey, I know you're in the middle of the game, Tim, but we have to get Dakota off the ice. Like, I, I was racking my brain with – and I kind of just thought, I guess I'm just going to have to do it because at the end of the day, we're getting him home, and if it means dead air for 20 minutes or a period on a broadcast, I guess it's a necessary evil for it. Um, I just – those weekends where I vividly remember those as just the intricacies and the strangeness – of the sport, especially at the minor league level. I think it's just so interesting. The things that you don't think about, but when you're in that situation, you have to come up with all these contingency plans, and it really fascinated me. The other thing that it brought up, Merms, when you you reminded me that you were on COVID protocols, I remember that was the week before we went to Vegas, and one of our guys took a bad hit in that game, and you were texting me during the game on the broadcast because you were listening, and you were th- this was the beginning of when I learned that Dakota Mermis has a different side of the humble, kind, smiling, good person because he was texting me, you say on the air that I'm coming for this guy. He was texting me this while the broadcast <laughs> was going on because he saw the hit, saw the replay, hated it. And so I'm using this to segue into – there is the short fuse side of Dakota Mermis too, which is I think one of the reasons why I do enjoy talking with you so much because as colloquial and kind and fun as you are to talk to, there's another loyalty side to Dakota Mermis that if you push the wrong buttons, you're going to have to deal with the aftermath. And Stefan Nason had to deal with that aftermath this year. I remember that fight vividly and there were a few others. Where does that come from? And how is there such a duality between who we're talking to right now and what happens when that jersey goes on? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's certainly a, a strong competitive side to me, as uh, Sarah will also tell you. That's why she doesn't play any uh, games with me, because she says I'm too competitive <laughs> even at home. So um, it's, uh, it's it's something I guess I've always had a little bit. And, um, you know, both of my parents were competitors. They were athletes. And I had an older brother who's, who's four years older who played um, played at the University of Denver. And so, of course, growing up, we, we played, you know, mini hockey in the basement. And um, I took a lot of lickings, but it you know, made me a little more competitive, I think. Um, and it's just something that, you know, I don't know. I've just always had that, uh, you know, to being able to separate the, you know, the player, the athlete from the person and um, just how important it is to, you know, to be gritty and, um, you know, that kind of thing on the ice is just, I, you know, I don't know where it comes from. It's kind of just ingrained in me and um, something I think I've even developed and grown, you know, as I, as I've grown as a player. Rams, you mentioned your brother playing at the University of Denver, and after you finished up your three seasons in the USHL, you spent some time at the University of Denver yourself. What prompted the switch from collegiate hockey to major junior hockey when you went over to play for Dale Hunter in London? Yeah, so that was um, yeah, that was a difficult decision because my I was playing with my brother; he was there at the time, um, and of course, my family loved that, and uh, the school was great, um, great place to live. I had gone undrafted in my draft year the year before. Um, and so, you know, kind of as a season, you know, the major junior was honestly, it was never on my radar, you know, even after London had drafted me late as maybe like a flyer. And I remember thinking my dad was like, yeah, you're like, you know, it doesn't matter. You're never going there. You're going to college. And, uh, you know, my dad's a teacher, um, a lot of educators in my family and, and quite honestly, I mean, I was always good at school, uh, you know, always did well in school and it was something that came, you know, somewhat natural to me um was the school side of things so 
that was a difficult decision. Um, it really came down to, you know, after talking to my family, I, you know, London was an absolute powerhouse as they are most years. Um, they had an extremely good team. So going undrafted, you know, it was really an exposure thing. Um, from a hockey side of things, it was that, you know, I had the opportunity to jump into this extremely talented team. I mean, if you look at the rosters of those teams we had, like I got the names of, written down. It's insane. It's nuts. I mean, we were so deep. You knew we were going to make crazy playoff runs. Uh, they were, you know, I'd mentioned they were going to host the World Cup the next year. They're attempt to and probably get it. Um, and so really the decision, you know, and I've talked to my family. I still had a great opportunity in London at the University of Western Ontario uh, there. So I was still going to go to school full time and I would still all be covered because I wasn't going to walk away, of course, from a full scholarship uh, and not basically get that in return and still be able to go to school and get my credits and um, that whole thing. So really it came down to, I, you know, kind of talking with my parents and, you know, it was like, you, you know, you might only have one opportunity in your life uh, to really chase this NHL dream. Um, school will always be there. And of course you can continue to, to go to school, which they of course wanted me to do. And, uh, and I wanted to do as well, but, the exposure I get to really try to chase being a professional hockey player, playing in the NHL one day. Um, and after going undrafted and not being in a system, like I said, the exposure that I was going to get there um, and just the, the playing time and that kind of thing was um, ended up being kind of, I guess, why, why we decided to, to go that way. And you mentioned the talent level on some of those London teams that you played on. And earlier this season, you mentioned to me that your D partner in London was Nikita Zadorov, who was of course, now in the Western Conference with Calgary. Any interesting stories with Nikita? And I know his personality from Buffalo a little bit. He's an interesting guy. That's a tough D pair, by the way, too. Jeez, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to tangle with either of you. I mean, he's, he, <laughs> he's got the size on you, but boy, oh boy, that's a tough D pair. Ooh. Yeah, I still had that grit even then. Uh, maybe even a little bit crazier, if you can imagine. I think family's melting <laughs> me out imagine. a little bit. Um, but, uh, no, he was, he was fun to play with. And he, of course, I mean, at least once or twice a game, I mean, God, would he just blow someone up, um, and mayhem would just ensue. So he was fun to play with and, you know, see his growth. And he obviously first round picked the Buffalo, um, and, you know, just having, like, I've always had a great time with Russians uh, that I've played with. Like, they're always funny. Like their English is like just broken enough, or if they don't, if they speak English, it's broken enough where, you know, they're pretty comical and. Um, yeah, I, I had fun time uh, with Nikita playing with him, and um, you know it was a lot of fun through that. Of course, there's some leadership as well on the coaching staff. Dale Hunter, who's a legend in his own right in the NHL. What was it like, you know, maybe through the recruitment process, him trying to get you to come to London, and then playing for him for three seasons? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, obviously I learned more about them once I was there, uh, and there was a, there's always been a strong St. Louis connection with London as well, because of, uh, Basil McRae is a uh, part yeah. owner of the Knights. And so you've seen different players throughout, you know, like his son, Phil McRae and, uh, like Pat Maroon go to London and different St. Matthew Kachuk. So there's always been a, uh, you know, a kind of a connection between St. Louis and London. So, um, you know, you learn more, you know, more and more about it, you know, as you're going on, like I said, it really wasn't on the radar. That's something that I would seriously consider for a long time. And, um, you know, we ended up, you know, like say making that decision and you learn that these, uh, Mark and Dale and all the staff they have there, um, are extremely obviously connected. The year I had gone was when Dale had just gotten back from coaching Washington. Um, and Mark was very, very much around with as good a teams as we had, um, on the bench and that kind of thing. I mean, they're extremely, I learned a lot 
about the defensive side of the game too, which was an area at the time that I really needed to improve upon. Um, in those days, I used to be a little more high flying offense and I really kind of learned that to transition my game and try to make a push at the next level, I needed to really kind of round it out more on the backside and have really done that throughout my career. Um, and those guys are a lot to credit. They extremely hockey minds, well-connected, can do a lot of video, um, know people everywhere and, uh, they're hard on you, but they, you know, they teach you a lot. Merms, I got to ask you because you're someone that is in a spot that's uniquely qualified to answer this question. You know what it takes to win a championship because you did so three times in your junior career. It's an incredibly decorated junior career for you. Green Bay Gamblers, Clark Cup Championship, OHL Championship with, with London, and then a Memorial Cup in Oshawa. I mean, you really hit the triumvirate as far as, especially in today's junior hockey world where the USHL has been now propped up next to OHL, next to other major junior leagues, you have an incredible pedigree. What do you think you learned about winning a championship and what has to be there in order to get it done? Because you also fell short in a few of those years. Or did you notice what was missing in those years that you had, the years where you did get all the way and, and raise some hardware? Yeah, I mean, I think when you when you look back at those seasons where – you know, in, in any of them where we ended up winning, um, it didn't come without, you know, some adversity throughout the year. And usually for whatever reason, it seemed like, you know, during my time in the OHL that right after the trade deadline, you'd always go into like a little slump, all three, you know, of those really good teams that we had the year we won the World Cup and the year we won the OHL championship. We went through a little slump after the deadline that I really think ended up springing us right into the playoffs where we would just roll. Um, and then on those, those teams were so, were built so differently too. Like, you know, our teams in London were, I mean, like, as you saw on the roster, like extremely high flying, like, I mean, just amazing skill, um, and guys are big time draft picks. And then, you know, and of course we played in two Memorial Cups when I was in London, um, and fell short both times. Um, and then, you know, my final year when I, when I went to Oshawa at the deadline, um, as an opportunity to, you know, push the season on and try to try to earn a contract. Um, that team, you know, was really a lot different. Like it was a little bit older, but it didn't, I mean, we had draft picks and stuff, but if you look at that roster, you know, Anthony Sorelli was our OT, you know, Memorial cup goal scorer. So he's obviously a full-time NHLer. Uh, Mike McCarron, who went over to Osho with me, you know, has, has had a decent career and is, you know, played most of this past year in the NHL and, and Josh Brown. I mean, but besides that, and, and, you know, there's some other guys, Duckle, but we don't have like the pedigree of like our teams of London did in terms of like in professional hockey in the NHL. Um, and that didn't mean that we weren't as good a team because certainly we were able to win the Memorial Cup and we we're the best team in junior. Um, and some, you know, obviously we're a couple other teams we fell just short. So I don't know. I mean, they're, they're all so different. And I think there's so many different ways to win a championship. You see it. Um, but the buy-in and, the, the fun that all the teams have, I think, are the same. Um, certainly you play different systems, you play different ways, but uh, the determination, the desire, and the depth of all the teams um, and needing every single part of that roster, um, I think, was consistent throughout all the championship teams. So after, that, after you win that championship, you do get that contract you talked about. You signed with Arizona. You started out in Springfield. My question is more on the, the quick couple games you spent in Rapid City. I talked to Jimmy Bono, who played in Rapid City at the same time, and I asked him, you know, what do you, what do you got to share? What kind of dirt can I, can I bring up? And he said he didn't have a whole lot because there was, I mean, there was an age gap between, between you and Bones, but he was talking about how you were really taking care of Michael Bunting because you guys were complete opposite personalities. So I guess two kind of questions for you. One, do you got anything 
great that you could share about your time kind of taking him under your wing, even though you guys were kind of the same age. And two, are you surprised at all to see the success that he had this year in Toronto putting up such huge numbers? Yeah. So it's, yeah, like I said, uh, Michael, Mikey and his girlfriend are like, they're great friends of ours. Like we became so close because our journey just traveled together for so long. Um, they actually surprised us and came down for a visit last week and it was great. We hadn't caught up with them in a long time. And we were talking about some of these, like when we were down in Rapid City and um, we, so we lived together uh, my rookie year and we had played against each other in the OHL um, and did not get along i mean he's very much a rat to play against and we used to just go at it so then here we are rookie year and we're like we're both you know we hadn't made we had our signing once but we hadn't made a dollar in pro yet we're like okay i don't i want to split rent he wanted to split rent so we ended up living together even though we really at this point didn't really i wouldn't say we didn't like each other but we hated each other from playing against each other and uh so we make this work and you know we grew into great friends and when we both went down to rapid city at the same time so we had just gone to costco we loaded up the fridge um, you know, I'd known each other a little better at this point when this happened. And, you know, next thing you know, we're going to make dinner and my phone's ringing. It's our, it's coach. It's, it's Ron Rolson, who was our coach in Springfield. And he's like, Hey, Merms, like we got, you know, some older guys that are coming in on PTOs. Um, so we want you to go down to Rapid City to get some games. Um, you know, we need you at the airport in like an hour and a half. So we'll start getting everything packed up. Uh, there's going to be another guy coming with you, but we haven't talked to him yet. And so I'm like, you know, I'm on the phone. And I'm like, Bunch is sitting there and he's like, what, like, what, what's he saying? What's he saying? And I'm like, I'm going to rapid city. And we know we're both like, like, like shit, you know, like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, he said, there's another guy coming with me, but he hasn't talked to him yet. And he's like, nah, like, no. <laughs> he was battling to get in the lineup at that point too. And so we hang up and it wasn't 30 seconds later, his phone starts ringing Ron Ralston. So we're like, okay, all right, throw all this Costco stuff as much as we can pack in that freezer. Um, Cause we didn't know how long it was going to be or anything like that. And, we rushed to the airport. Next thing you know, me and Mikey are flying into, you know, the windiest city I think I've ever been in. South I mean, the, this little plane was just, I mean, we were just rocking all over and we're just like, where are we going? Like, what are we doing? We don't know anything about this place. Um, and so, yeah, so we ended up being down for, I don't know, two and a half weeks or so, uh, played five games, um, and then got uh, recalled from there. But it was, you know, it was uh, definitely a humbling experience because you come in, it's your first year pro, it's like pretty much right away. And, you have your place in the American League, and next thing you know, you're in, uh, you know, Rapid City and um, getting some games there. So he uh, he's an, a really good player. He, you know what, like, I'm, to answer your question, no, I'm not surprised. Like, this is a guy that, you know, was in Arizona system for six years, and every year he contributed at a high level and put up points. And and at the time, even, like, early, he'd be like, oh, I, like, I don't, I'm a goal scorer. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you're a rat. You're not. You're not. <laughs> and then, like, as, as the seasons would just progress, like, he would keep putting up points and he'd keep finding ways to score. And I'm like, okay, maybe, I don't know, maybe you can't score. You're, you're, you're still a rat. And uh, he, he's awesome. Like I said, we've, we grew together and, um, you know, had gone through being in the minors for so long together that to see him have that success. And then he got that, you know, little stint after so long of being in the minors for Arizona, he got that little stint at the end of uh, last season where he had like 10 goals in 20 games. Um, and you're like, okay, I mean, he's proved himself. And then, you know, it's something that we've all seen, but he just never got the opportunity to show at the NHL level. And so he got the chance obviously to sign with his hometown Leafs and, um, you know, I mean, look at what he did. He's got over 60 points and he's a finalist for the Calder. Um, so that, that, that doesn't happen by mistake. So, Certainly, I'm uh, team bunting for the Calder Trophy. Merms, that's such 
a good look behind the curtain, which is, what, again, that's what we're trying to do, mm -hmm. right? And it's such a great story because I think for so many kids that grow up and they look at people like you that have, have reached the highest level, you know, a good amount of NHL games, a lot of AHL games. I mean, you've reached damn near the pinnacle of this profession, um, yet there are still stories that you had to go through where you and, and Michael Bunting as young 20-year-olds are cramming as much as you can possibly fit into a freezer. It, like this, these really unique, bizarre stories about being in the minor leagues. I, I just That's such a great tidbit. And to continue on the trend of Joey doing some homework and, and me doing some homework, I, I do want to get a story out of you. I have, I have just two more questions for you. You've been really gracious with your time, and we appreciate it. But I've heard, again, to go along with an interesting minor league hockey story, that there was a flat tire in Texas in a U-Haul uh, that led to quite a calamity uh, for you on the way back from one of your seasons in Tucson. Yeah, and where did you find that, and how did you find that? <laughs> a good journalist never reveals his source. That's incredible. Um, yeah, so that did happen. One of the, uh, you know, when we used to be in, in Tucson and Arizona, we would, uh, you know, Sarah was living with me at this time, and we had just Kaiser, our older dog, and so it was about a 24 hour trek, you know, from Arizona to get back home to St. Louis. Um, and so what we would do, Sarah had her car down there as well. I had a truck. So we would get her car loaded up on an auto transport U-Haul and just pull behind the truck. That way we didn't have to pull both cars. Um, and so, yeah, so we about halfway, about the 12 hour point was Amarillo, Texas. And so that we would almost always stop there, spend the night and then pick up the next night and go. Um, so this was on the front end of the, of the travel, um, headed back to St. Louis. So we leave Arizona early in the morning, you know, we traveled all day. Um, and so we're about an hour from Amarillo where we had, you know, room reserve, we're exhausted, um, you know, the sun setting. So we're in, in this part of like Northern Texas, I mean, it's just cow pastures and it's just, I mean, there's nothing, I mean, until you hit Amarillo. And so probably an hour and 15 or so outside of Amarillo when we're starting to, you know, feel that, okay, we're almost to the destination tonight where we can you know get some sleep you know we go over this bridge and you just hear this just huge pop and just oh. smoke behind you know the car i'm going oh you know crap like <laughs> that's definitely a tire and so i don't know if it's my tire or what tire just popped but so you know we pull over to the side of the road really quickly go back and realize that okay this u-haul tire had blown um and we're an hour outside of amarillo so this is gonna suck the sun's setting so we're in the middle of you know, Texas, it's going to be completely dark in a matter of time. You know, there's trucks that are traveling that are flying by. Um, so we're, you know, I'm like, okay, well, let's get out of the car and we'll go stand so we can call U-Haul and figure out how this works. Um, so we're like standing up on the hill. So we're off the highway a little bit with Kaiser and um, there was actually a little bit of cactus around. And wouldn't you know that Kaiser accidentally stepped on this cactus while we're standing there. So we're trying to get these thorns out oh of his God. Um And he's like, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> You know, why are we standing here? There's cows that are going by mooing at us. Um, and so at the time there had been all this rain and there was all this flooding throughout Texas. We weren't in the middle of that, but I, so I, I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'll just call the, you know, the police just to maybe have a light sit, you know, have a car sit here with their lights on while we're working on this, you know, with all these trucks going by since it's going to be pitch black out here. And uh, so I'm like, okay, so I call 911. I'm like, Hey, it's not an emergency. Um, <laughs> this is one of the craziest things i'm like it's not an emergency but would someone be able to just come sit out here with us and the guy on the other line's like where did you say you were at so i'm like looking on my phone i'm like we're you know somewhere between this mile marker this mile marker on you know this interstate and he's like well son i don't know how you got mine or how you you know got me i'm police chief of 
so-and-so town in Texas town, you know, town of 230 people. And I can't really help you. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like what, like where and he was like down in like Southern Texas or something, which is where to die. He's like, if you want to just hang up face South or face, uh, face West and dial again. I was like, what is this? Like what if this were an <laughs> just, emergency? Just and turn around and call again. <laughs> yeah. And try to face the other way and call again. I'm like, what kind of like, how does this happen? Like, I get the hold of some, you know, mom and pop cop shop. And like, you know, we're on the side of the road. So that's where I'm like, okay, I'm not doing this. So I called you all anyways, long story short, I call you all and I'm like, Hey, it's this tire. And, and luckily it wasn't like a storage trailer where we had stuff in it. So what we ended up doing, I'm like, we're an hour. So Sarah's got gas in her car. So we pulled her car off the U-Haul, unhooked it, uh, called U-Haul and said, Hey, we're staying in Amarillo tonight. What can we do? Like, we're just going to, we're going to leave the trailer on the side of the road and we're going to drive to the hotel. And they were, U-Haul was actually great. They're like, yeah, leave it there. Uh, you know, someone who is going to be able to come fix it can't be there for two hours. So if you just leave it there, they'll come fix it and they'll bring it to you and they'll have it there by the morning when you need to take off. And so anyway, so that's what we ended up doing. We pulled Sarah's car off. Um, I hopped in the truck, me and Kaiser hopped in the truck, drove to Amarillo and Sarah drove behind us in, uh, in her car. And we made it to the hotel a little bit later than we expected, uh, just in time to get something neat before everything closed, um, slept the night and they, called it about you know three in the morning or so and said hey we're dropping the trailer off so i met him out there went back to bed for a bit and then uh loaded the the car back up on the u-haul and and made the rest of the trek to st louis but That's yeah you it's, the more you do it and the more seasons that go on the more and more stuff like this happens yeah but who would have thought you just if you're calling 911 you're just gonna turn around the other way you get a whole different police I've station i've thought about this before. that's insane to me. i've thought about this before like how does it is, is it must be geographically and locationally based i legitimately have wondered this how does that work because you just call 911 wherever you're at yeah. when we travel a lot like you think about that and so you actually just taught me something today it, it does have something to do with geographically I guess. And I, and like I said, I didn't, uh, after he told me that I didn't even waste trying he to didn't do test it. it. So I, I mean, I could have got him again. I have no idea, but that's uh, where I thought the story was going. I literally thought this guy was going to pick up again. And you're going to go, are you kidding me? That was, no, that's where by I thought that point we had the, We'd had the cactus in the paw, the blown no, tire. The thumb was down, the it's pitch black. I don't know which way is West. No, my last, my last, uh, you brought up flooding in that. I have one more note that I was given uh, that I was told is only a good story now because you're here to be able to talk to us. But I heard there was a Luke Bryan concert that went very much the wrong direction because of some flash flooding. Yeah, so I definitely know who you talk to now. Uh, I think you were in the house. Um, I definitely know your source. So, yeah, God, yeah, these, man, this doesn't get any better. Um, we had gone up to Cincinnati and we had met uh, – the guy I'd played with in Oshawa, Cole Castles, and um, his girlfriend to go to a Luke Bryan concert. Um, Sarah was going to school, grad school in Louisville at the time, so it was just a short drive up from there. It was summertime, and so I was off from hockey, and the concert was great. You know, we go to the concert, we had a blast. So, like, okay, we'll go downtown a little bit and uh, go get some dinner. And while we were in there sitting, eating dinner, we, <laughs> I mean, it just started downpouring. I mean, and so we didn't really even realize it while we were sitting there eating. And as we get ready to leave, we called an Uber to take us back to, you know, to the hotel. And, you know, there was this flash flooding. So everyone's kind of standing under this awning that are trying to leave because this downpour had gone. I mean, this water was just rushing through the street. Um, I mean, you couldn't even see, you could barely see kind of where the curbs were at. Um, and you were just seeing this massive amount of water. And so we're all sitting there waiting for this Uber to, you know, they're still driving, they're getting ready to pick us up, but we're sitting there watching all these other, uh, you know, men and women uh, take their flip-flops off and try to run across this street and they're just getting wiped out. 
wiped out. And we're just like, oh my God, this is insane. Like, I mean, these people are just getting wiped out and they're floating down the street, you know, not far. They get back up, but, um, you know, so here we are laughing at them and up pulls our, our Uber to the, you know, pretty close to the curb. It's like, I don't know, maybe 30 feet up the street we got to run to. Um, so we take off and, you know, we're still pouring rain. This water's still absolutely just flowing through the streets. Uh, they all hop in the back seat, And as I, you know, I, you, like I said, you kind of see where the curb was at, but not entirely. Uh-oh. Um, and so the car was just off the curb a little bit. And so they hop in the back seat, and I go to step off to get the front seat. Well, I happened to step off and this is something you couldn't see where there was a storm drain. And so I hit this storm drain and my ankle just twists, you know, and oh. down I go into this flash flood. So now I'm like half floating down the street. I mean, I'm so bad. I'm trying to hold my phone and stuff out of the water, but it was pouring so hard. It didn't matter. Um, but it, they, and they didn't, nobody, you know, they just got in the car and were like, you know, where's, where's Dakota at? And, you know, so I pop up and I am able to get back in this car and uh, the Uber driver was just like, damn son like i thought i was gonna have to go Baywatch on you and like i mean this this i couldn't believe it because here I, we were sitting there like but i sarah doesn't she doesn't believe me that there was a storm drain there but there truly was had there been no storm drain uh, I had it sounds like there's some controversy in this one yeah, we need to call her we may yeah, have to do it we may have to do an addendum to the end of the podcast and have sarah come on and tell the actual story because it sounds like you're leaving some parts out or adding some parts to put yeah you, so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Parts for sure. but uh, anyway so we make it in this and luckily this uber driver he was he was awesome like he was hilarious he was dying laughing everyone was dying laughing and he was like are you, like, you know are you all right and i'm like yeah, I mean, in case you're wondering, the underside of your car looks fantastic. You know, great work on, uh, you know, keeping up with all the maintenance. On Were you the under the car? Yeah, yeah, I was close. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, the water pushed me back out. Yeah. Yeah, but. Uh, you know, it oh, was, my gosh. Well, yeah, so I, I appreciate that flood warnings a bit more than uh, I guess I did that. Time. I was going to say, I, I mean, you do need to take them seriously. I'm not sure I've been taking them seriously enough. No. That's that's definitely yeah. Know where know where the strain, uh, storm drains are because yeah, that's uh, those are those are dangerous. Sneak up Watch the you. first step; it's a doozy. <laughs> the Uber driver wasn't mad at all that you soaked his Nissan Altima. No, I tell you what, he was like, I mean, he was just dying. I mean, he was like, this is insane. Like, I, I thought he was gonna have to rescue, you know. And um, luckily, I'm I consider myself a fairly good swimmer and uh, was able to pop right back up uh, with you know a lot of style points too. So um, no, yeah, he was he was good sport about it. Again, points we could refute with Sarah about how yeah. graceful apparently he was coming yeah. out of the storm drain. Yeah. Have to wait and see. Oh, leave that up for a debate. Murph. Yeah, you can also ask her about, you know, absolutely not, you know, even coming to my aid or even having any kind of concern that Probably I was laughing. Far at all. Yeah. Yeah. I know yeah, where my wife would have been laughing for sure. Like, right. what's, what's he doing out there? Yeah. Why is he doing this again? He's trying to be funny. Here yeah, we go. Is, all the attention needs to be on Dakota all the time. Yeah. Right? This is, yeah. <laughs> get in the car. Yeah. Man of the year. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just get the right. attention. Uh, Merms, this has been just uh, fantastic. I, I've gone through my, my rigmarole of questions. You guys got anything more for him? You've been uh, so gracious with your time. Uh, per usual, we're long-winded. I think I told you 30 to 40. We're right at about 50 minutes. So we took you a little extra, but hopefully it didn't seem like too much of a chore for you. No, no, this was a lot of fun. I definitely uh, probably got into more detail to make these stories a little longer and um, than I had to. So I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. This was a lot of fun, and hopefully we'll do it again. On to the third period of episode two, Riding the Bus. We're going to wrap things up. Joey Goldstein to my right, Mitch Courtney to my left. I'm Ben Gislason. This was a great first 
episode, again, we talked off camera about, well, what's the first episode? Is it the intro? Is it this one? I Call it what you want. But th this one was introduction, interview, and now we're, we're, we're running the mm -hmm. outro. It's what yeah. we're here it's, to it's, talk about, to, to land the plane, so to, or to, to stop the bus and to, or to bring go. us home. Yeah. What a plane reference. Yeah. We don't fly that much. No, just no. Colorado. Yeah. But well, no, it's, well, it's more than that. It's our, it's, you know, it's, it's not really the, it's not the first episode, but it's really our first full episode. So this is a taste of what you're going to get moving forward. We talked about bets and in the introduction. Quick refresher some fun we're going to have amidst our group here, just things we can think about that we can place essentially humiliation bets on, if you want to call it that. And, and our first one will be we want to talk some Stanley Cup finals, uh, get some thoughts from, from all three of us here on what we've seen so far through. As we record the, this outro, it, it's Monday. This episode's going out on Tuesday, so there is a game tonight. Um, but looking at this series so far, we are going to say – Hard to say, probably everybody think, I think on the table here might think Colorado is going to win. Hard to bet against them. So we're going to go winner of the series and number of games it's going to take. And loser of these choices, if you choose incorrectly, will have to watch an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians and provide a full 10-minute report for the introduction of episode three. I hope I don't lose. <laughs> yeah, I don't so, know if so I can that's put what's myself that, through that. That's what's at stake. And uh, Mitch, you're the youngest here, so you're going to have to start out with uh, what you think is going to happen. I don't see any scenario in which Tampa does not steal at least one game with Vasilevsky in net, even though he's been shaky in the first two. I think, you know, I'd be hard pressed to pick Tampa in any way, shape, or form. I think they get one game. So Colorado in five is my pick. That's a problem. Because that would have been my pick too. Well, am I allowed to pick the same? Like how looks does like work? you're watching the Kardashians. The same thing? You have to you have to pick goal differential then if you're going to pick the same thing. That's tough because I I'm with you. I don't. I mean, there's no chance that Tampa's winning four out of the next five. Like it's just it's just not going to happen. I think Vasilevsky is good enough to steal a game. I mean, maybe two, but they're not fast enough to keep skating with Colorado. I just think I don't know if it's the the amount of games they've played the last couple of years catching up with them I I don't know what it is but um, I can't say in five right I mean nope I can't looks say like in you're five. watching the Kardashians buddy <laughs> well not necessarily right well I guess maybe I don't know only one person can be right right, right? you're either so picking the two sweep? of us gonna have to watch Kardashians could be all right I'm gonna stick to my guns here I gotta I gotta take Colorado in five I've been I've been screaming from the rooftops. What's the score? So. What's the score of Game Five? Score of Game Five. I'll go three-one Colorado. I'm gonna say four-two. I think they get an empty net. Find a way to see who's closer. I guess if it comes down to that. Yeah. I think you're both wrong. I'm going Bolts in seven. Ooh. Really? Mm -hmm. I hope you like the Kardashians. Yes. I'm going really Bolts do. in seven. This I, was your idea. This whole Kardashian was, thing. I think. I, I, it's funny. I, I just, I can't bet against Tampa. I cannot do it. I think, I think it's foolish to do it. Granted that game two was, and I only saw highlights. I couldn't watch it. Unfortunately, I was out of town, but that those highlights were jarring to watch. I mean, that looked like 
it looked like teams playing in different leagues for a lot of Colorado that game. looks like they're playing a different game completely. Yeah, yep, it does. But I don't know. I just I think that Tampa Tampa knows so much about winning this time of year. They know so much about being in this situation. They've been in the situation before. Granted, it wasn't against the Avalanche. It was against the Rangers. But I would also say Tampa managed to do what they need to do to Colorado against New York. And I would say, with all due respect to Iowa Wild alum Darcy Kemper, uh, who, who has done very well for Colorado, he is not Igor Shosturkin. And I think Tampa Bay found a way to get past him. And I think goalies are the major reason teams win this time of year. And I don't know. And the other thing I would say is Colorado – Historically speaking, not as much this season, but a little bit for this playoff, they have had problems when the snowball starts rolling down the hill. Mm-hmm. That is, that's their knock, right? That's the knock everybody gives them is when they're at their best and everything's going their way, you can't touch them. But how do they handle adversity? And they've handled it this playoff. There's no question. That this has not been, yes, they did sweep Nashville. Yes, they did sweep Edmonton. But there were still there was some very – adverse moments during all of those series they had on the way here. But I just, I think Tampa Bay and I know it's a long shot, but I think Tampa Bay is going to find a foothold. And I think it'll be just like it was in New York where all of a sudden we're going to look up and the series is going to be two, two, and you're going to go, what happened? I don't think you're far off with that, especially with two games in Tampa. Like I would love to have seen a game in Tampa before declaring Colorado in five because home ice advantage is so big Mm -hmm. in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But Tampa's always a team that is hard to count out. Just engaging the first two games, it looks like Colorado will continue on this trend, but we've seen it before. You know, they've fallen to Vegas and they've fallen to other teams in the playoffs that you thought they should beat. So Tampa is a formidable opponent, and, and there's no way that you can count them out. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I got a, I, I mean, I got a feeling that Ben's going to be watching the Kardashians, and that's just going to be the way that it is. But when they we'll when the Bolts win tonight, and this episode comes out tomorrow and I'm, on, I'm, on that, Tuesday, that can happen. Oh man, that I'm can going to be. Listen, I'm going to be just gloating about it. That can happen. Really well, we said that would happen. Vasilevsky's he's the best goaltender of this era. He's going to steal games. He's going to keep them in it. I just don't think Tampa can keep up with the firepower of Colorado. They could barely get through their defense last week. They, they had nine shots through two periods. Tampa's That's really su- bad. Tampa's such a good adjustment team. They're so good at that. They're so good at looking at 120 minutes of tape and going, where can we get, where can we get through here? They and make Colorado those adjustments is, going into game two, though. That's true, but they didn't do that against New York either. And they Fair. didn't do that against Toronto. Fair. And they didn't do that against Toronto either. So I just this is a team that once the once the steam gets rolling out of their engines, they're hard to slow down. And I they, we haven't seen it yet. They haven't and they almost took game one. Almost took game one. One I think, shot. I think the biggest thing that we're overlooking here, did you guys see the photo last year after the Stanley Cup final? Vasilevsky is shaking hands with Carey Price and it looks like he's wearing a sumo wrestler's costume. So if he throws those lacrosse goalie pads on for the rest <laughs> of this series, Colorado might be in trouble. Not a lot of room to shoot out with considering no. his frame is already as big as it is and then yeah, yeah you, you put on the sumo suit. Yeah. He's a house, he's a big boy. So again, keeping the Kardashians report on the line, uh that's what's in the offing for this bet. Um Joey, you also had an eventful week last week, and and so did I. As we can, I think we can finish the podcast on this, do our own little storytelling. Uh, it was the final weekday game, games, uh, plural, doubleheaders of uh, softball for the Iowa Wild front office staff. Yep. 
almost got it done, uh, which, w- which would have been the one and only win of, of the Iowa Wild front office staff softball season. Um, I'm really proud that I was a part of this almost win. Hit a great final inning double to get runners in scoring position, myself and then a guy on third. But you were the guy at the plate when it all came down to it uh, and almost provided the game-winning run. Uh, can you tell us more about what exactly transpired? Because it wasn't just you were thrown out at home. There was more to it than that. Yeah, sure. So, um, <laughs> Sure, okay. And we, got, we got Marquise in the back, and he was there. Marquise was yep. a witness to it all. Yep. So if I'm wrong, Marquise can feel free to chime in. But I guess a little bit of backstory. We were the bad news bears all year long. I mean, just atrocious. Uh, just I, there's no other way to describe it. I mean, Marquise is 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 nodding his head. I mean, it's we just weren't we weren't good. Um, but we we tried to compete. I mean, we we lost the game by 35 runs. That's it was, and that's that's not good in 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 any any sport ever. Um, so anyways, yeah. So so bottom of the seventh. Water out there. Yeah, bottom <laughs> bottom of the seventh. Uh, we're we're down four nothing. Uh, it's last inning. We're like, all right, well, let's give it all we got. We end up putting a little rally together. Down four uh, two. I get up with an out. I, I find myself on first base now with two outs. Uh, Gavin, our assistant equipment manager, is is helping fill in for the day. Um, so Gavin uh, hits up a, a little little Texas leaguer, if you will, into center field, and center fielder goes to scoop it. Ball goes under his glove, rolls towards the fence. So one run comes around to score, and I start trucking around. I'm rounding second, rounding third. Nobody told me to stop. Oh, so I was I was giving you yeah, this. Yeah, everybody's sure. everybody's I, waving I me in, home. right? So yeah. I I come in. I'm get, approaching the plate. I see the catcher get the ball, and I, in hindsight, I should have just gone full Pete Rose and just ran him over, uh, but I didn't. I tried to finesse, if you will. I tried to just sneak my foot on the plate, uh, which I did, and then mm. I was I was tagged. I wiped out. Um, umpire called me out, came over to check on me, asked me if I was okay. Yes. I said, yes, I'm fine, but you blew the call, and I kind of got up and kind of mm. brushed past him. Uh, but he called me out, and we lost the game by a run. Um, I think I was safe. A lot of people thought I was safe. I our, thought you were safe. Our team manager called me out oh, when it happened. Yep. Mm. So, um, Little Jim Joyce moment there. Yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't great, but, you know. Would have been nice to get the win. I tell hey, you. it's not Iowa Wild hockey. There are moral victories allowed in softball. I think, right? Or maybe I mean, not. Tim Army wouldn't agree <laughs> with that. Yeah. He doesn't care softball. if it's the AHL we really, or summer. We really softball. wanted He'd to win no that one. We victories. were so bad all year. Just I don't know. It would have been nice to get one. You know. I did really feel the agony of however many losses that you had in when that out got called. I felt it in the dugout, even though that was yeah. my. I just picked up two losses on the year because I was only there for that day. But I, I felt it. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't great. I felt it for sure. You definitely. I was a little felt banged it. up. Um, <laughs> I, I thought you broke your ankle. I'm not kidding. Because your ankle, your ankle hit the plate, and then I saw your ankle go like this, and your rest of your, you know, what is that? Your is this your femur here? Your fibula? I'm sure, not even totally sure. That stayed straight up. Like it, it looked gnarly. Yeah, see, I thought you were gonna knock it up. My. And believe it or not, the ankle wasn't the problem. It was <laughs> I fell on my wrist. Uh, so like I cut up, I don't know if you can see that. I cut up my hand pretty good. Uh, but you know, my legs all cut up. It wasn't great. And my, my wrist was a little sore. I woke up in the middle of the night on, on Tuesday I had to go to the ER. Cause I thought like, 
I didn't know this. Yeah, I oh, thought geez. I legitimately thought it was broken or dislocated or something. They said it was a really bad sprain, so they gave me. I was wearing a brace for most of the week last week. Uh, I still don't have a ton of movement in it, but I can do things with my my hand now. But uh, take for granted, you do a lot of things with your right hand uh, as a righty. It was a struggle for a little bit. So, wow. but we're good. We're powering through. Hockey tough. All that. All the cliches. You name it. We're wow. We're, we're good. Yeah. That's much more of a harrowing story than I thought it was. Yeah. Well, I sent you the picture that night. I had a, I had a, just happened to have a wrap, so I yeah. wrapped it up myself. And, yeah, middle of the night, it's excruciating pain. I <laughs> well, had to take care of it. Joey, we're glad to hear that, that you are, are healthy. I certainly appreciated the effort. Uh, and with that, I think it's time for us to, to, to put a lid on this episode. We, we do have a sign-off. We promised a sign-off last mm-hmm. week when you and I, Joey, just – came up with whatever we could come up with on the spot and said, see you later. Thought about it last week. So for those that don't know, at the end of uh, the night, when you're getting on the bus from a, a road game, it's been so on all the buses I've been on as a player, uh, you know, playing junior hockey and then college hockey also as in professionally career. Now, when I was working in junior hockey, now working here with the Iowa Wild, after a win, bus driver, everybody gets on the bus, bus will take off, drive 10, 15 feet, and one of the captains or veterans in the back of the bus will stand up and say, hey, Bussy, how, Bussy who is, is usually what's kind of the generic name for the bus driver, hey, Bussy, how about two honks for the win? And the bus driver will slam on the brakes and hit the horn two times, and then the, the bus kind of erupts. does not happen after losses, only happens after wins. But so we thought what a perfect sign-off in saying uh, I'd say episode two was a win. Definitely. Oh, yeah. It was Definitely. a win. Yep. So, big uh, time. With that, uh, a big thanks to Marquise uh, helping us doing some winning here uh, on this episode, too. A big thanks to Dakota Mermis uh, as well for joining us, and then Jeremy Core for making sure all of our technical uh, sides are taken care of as well. Joey, Mitch, thank you. Thanks to our fans for tuning in. And this has been Riding the Bus, the official Iowa Wild podcast. Time to hit the horn. Two honks for the win. And thanks for joining us.